Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Blessings to everyone today in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah. Today is going to be myself and Samuel, or Shmuel, for those that are in Israel, and Alan. And we are going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9. And we're going to try to do this together because both of these chapters are dealing with this gift that has been collected in Corinth, is still being collected, and has been collected in Macedonia for the Jewish believers back in Jerusalem, back in Judea, that are suffering physically. And now these Gentile believers, predominantly Gentile believers, are going to be encouraged to take up an offering. We're not going to be speaking about tithing here. Most people look at these two chapters as chapters about tithing, but this is a gift that they are bringing forth out of their own heart, out of their own initiative to help other believers in the body of the Messiah to help them during a very difficult time. So this is not about tithing, but this is about a financial gift that they are doing on their own. Now, when we look at chapter 7, and you look at this chapter, you see the close relationship between Paul and the Corinthians. Even with some of the conflict that happened from the first letter, now we're looking at the second letter, and there's opposition against him by some within that congregation. At the same time, there is a strong bond between the founder of this church and those believers. The majority stood with Paul on these issues, especially the issue in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So now we're coming to a point of asking for this offering, or completing the offering that started with the Corinthians a year earlier, and for them to complete it, for them to bring it to a full point of completion so that they can take this offering back to Jerusalem. Remember in 2 Corinthians, he's writing from Macedonia to the Corinthians. He's about to go to them. There are good reports that are going on and that they're standing with Paul. At the same time, there is a spiritual battle with some in that church that are still battling against Paul. And we're going to see that in chapters 10 through 13. Now, when you talk about an offering, if there's conflict within that congregation with some that are trying to have leadership positions, then an offering becomes a really big task. It becomes something that becomes a point of conflict that others can attack him. How dare him ask from us an offering? What is he trying to do? Is he trying to use it for personal gain, for his own life? these kind of things. And throughout this letter, you see that Paul believes in accountability. He wants to make sure things are done correctly and raising these funds and that it's administered to in the right way. This is not for Paul, but this is for the Jewish believers back in Judea and in Jerusalem, the mother church, and to minister to them physically. So that's where we are, and we're going to start in chapter 8. And I would ask Alan if you don't mind, to read. Let's start with the first 10 verses here. 
So 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. So we urged Titus that as he had previously made a beginning, so he would also complete in you this gracious work as well. But just as you abound in everything, in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all earnestness and in the love we inspired in you, see that you abound in this gracious work also. I am not speaking this as a command, but as proving through the earnestness of others the sincerity of your love also. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. So let's look at these ten, these ten verses and really emphasize what I think is some of the most important things that Paul is emphasizing. First, he's writing to the Corinthians. He is writing to them about the churches in Macedonia, these believers, these congregations in Macedonia that is under affliction. You see this in verse 2, that they are going through persecution, and because of this persecution, and this is what a lot of people do not realize about many churches national churches, believers around the world, because of the persecution, many times physically, they're not able to have self-determination. They're not able to rise up to a certain level of prosperity economically. We see this all around the world, especially in places like the Middle East, in places of Southern Asia, Southeast Asia, communist countries, Marxist societies, you see where believers are constantly being put down and they live in a place of poverty. Now, the word here is poverty when it describes them and their physical condition. It says, and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. The wealth is viewed as they were giving, And you get this sense that they are giving from a cheerful heart. They want to give, even though that they're in affliction, even though there's poverty, and what that means, they're struggling day by day, I believe, to put food on the table, to have proper shelter, to have the things that are needed to sustain a person or a family on a daily basis. This is what poverty is. Out of that, they're giving. And there's great wealth that is involved in this. And so when I see believers around the world that are being persecuted and they're living day by day in order to provide for their families, and when it comes to an offering, it comes to do something for the Lord, and you see the smiles on their faces, what wealth that they possess And in a Western society that we're living in, we have everything so backwards. I think Paul is communicating to the Corinthians, these churches in Macedonia, they have wealth. They're so blessed. Even though their physical condition is not good, they want to give. 
and it is something that is coming from their hearts. They're not being forced to give. Paul, as an apostle, as a founder of the church at Philippi, which is in Macedonia, is not coming to them and saying, you have to give. If not, you're in a lot of trouble. This is something that's coming from within inside of them. When you look at verse 3, they are giving out of their own accord. This is not something that's forced upon them. This is something that they are wanting to do. And Scott, I think, you know, if we go back to this this time in, in history, you know, when Paul is talking about poverty, you know, you have to put into context probably what poverty was back then. That's probably really, really deep poverty, you know, because compared to what we would look at poverty in a Western society or through a Western lens. And like you said, you may see some of that same poverty maybe in some third world countries in, in Asia or the Middle East. But, you know, I think poverty here really meant probably poverty day to day. Are you going to make it? Are you going to have to put food on the table? And for this, these churches in Macedonia to give out of that just shows the love of Christ being poured out for these other believers. There's no other way you can do that without the love of Christ in your heart. And I think that's just a testament to how much, you know, they were walking in the fruit of the Spirit. They were encouraged to do this. And, and again, like you said, it wasn't mandated by Paul. It wasn't something Titus said, well, the Corinthians are doing this. Now all of you have to give. No, this was brought up in them and something sparked in them through the love for these other believers. And that's a beautiful thing and probably one of the most rewarding things in this natural life you can do is when you say, I don't have a lot, but I want to give because I feel like God's telling me or feeling inspired to do this and doing it with a cheerful heart. And I think we, you know, myself personally, and in the Western culture, you start to get selfish. You say, well, do I need to give this while I have this to do? And sometimes you can just think yourself out of just the joy of blessing another believer. But these churches in Macedonia got it right, and Paul's really highlighting that here to the Corinthians. Yes, and think about in those cultures, they do not have a government support system. All that they have is family. Now, that strengthens the family. Family has to pull together, work together to sustain family. It's not just one individual, and then you have all these government programs. If, if you don't have work, you're in a lot of trouble. And in a lot of times in those cultures, in order to survive, you had to go into slavery to survive. You had to come under somebody else's authority, and you became a property of those individuals. So there's not the support system, and I agree with you fully, Alan, that it's poverty like we do not know in a Western culture. It is more similar to what you see in third world countries. They work every day to put food on the table for enough food to sustain that family. Here in America or in the Western culture, we're thinking about poverty and we're thinking about, well, I don't have what this person has or that person has. I've even heard poverty used, I don't have a cell phone, or I don't have this or that. When we're dealing with poverty, we're dealing with staying alive every single day, providing for your family enough food, enough shelter, enough ability to continue to the next day. And in many parts of the world today, that's a reality. And for believers in those types of cultures that are being persecuted because of their faith, they don't have the same opportunities as other people within that culture. So to me, it strengthens their faith. It strengthens their commitment. Oh, God, we are completely dependent upon you. And it is something that builds the faith, strengthens the faith that God is their provider every single 
day. In a Western culture, we don't always look to God for provision. We look to many different sources for people to help us out. So I agree with you fully. This is true poverty. This is a reality. But out of that, they're giving. And they love to give. And when we get to chapter 9, God loves a cheerful giver. Not someone that does it grudgingly, but someone that does it from the heart. And in verse 3, they are giving out of their own accord. They are doing it not forced by Paul, not forced by any other individual, but because they want to do it. And they're giving to help the other believers. Most of the giving that you're seeing within the body of Christ in the early churches for other believers, to help out other believers. And there's nothing wrong with giving to non-believers, but sometimes we give to non-believers and we forget about our own family that's hurting and that needs help. You have to think about it in this way. If you have a family, you have a wife, you have kids, you have the extended family, and you're suffering, and you need to pull together to help each other to get to the next day or to the next week, and you take what you have and you're giving it outside of your own family, there's a problem that arises from that. You're neglecting your first responsibility. That's how we see it in the first century church as well. Their first priority was for other believers that were suffering, those that needed help to help the missions effort that was taking place and helping other believers that are going out, other believers that need help physically. We can never forget that reality. The body of the Messiah is a family. And when one is down, we're all down. When one rejoices, we all rejoice. And when there is a need, and I see my brother in need, and I don't help them, there's a problem. You remember Jacob, James, talks about that in the first letter written in the New Covenant chronologically. So if we see our brother in need, let's help them. Let's be there and do it from the heart. So go ahead. I think, Scott, that's, that's exactly right. And when you look at it, you know, in the natural, like a natural family, like you said, if, if I had a son, you know, that would, couldn't pay for something, but then I'm giving, you know, money to help, um, you know, another another person, another kid pay for, for this, but taking care of my own son, you'd say, that's a problem, you know, what's going on? And, and we don't see that all the time in the, you know, with our spiritual family. If you're giving to all these programs, which, which can be good and they can be great, but if someone in the body of Christ is struggling that you know immediately and you're kind of turning a blind eye to that but saying well I already gave to so and so or supported this that'd be wrong and it's something that challenges me a little bit because I don't don't always think about that all the time because you can give to some really good things right you know whether it's feeding children and and all this and that that can be a testimony you know as Christians but also another testimony to non-believers can be how we are taking care of our own and how are we taking care of the body of Christ, not because we're naturally related to them, but we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And non-believers looking at that, you know, how powerful is that to say, wow, you know, Alan's a part of this Christian family and he was in need and they took care of him and their family to him. And that's a beautiful thing for someone on the outside looking in that we don't always, you know, think about all the time. Yes, And so this is an incredible work that we should learn from them, the churches in Macedonia. 
And now that testimony, Paul is using that to minister to the Corinthians to finish this work and to be part of this gracious work also of supporting the holy ones, the saints back in Jerusalem. This started a year earlier, if we go to verse 10. So it started a year earlier, and they were the first to begin. And so now Macedonia has gotten involved. And now Corinth is going to complete this, and Paul is going to be going to them. And he doesn't want to be ashamed when he comes because he's talked about their great faith and their love. And to get there and to find out that they're not interested in helping the believers in Jerusalem would bring some shame upon him from what he has communicated to others. But with Titus, he understands, oh, they're wanting to give. They're excited to give, and we we see this through this letter. Now, let's pick up in verse 11, and let's read verses 11 through 15. And Samuel, if you don't mind, if you could read these verses. And remember in verse 10, they began a year earlier to do this, and they have a desire to do it just like the believers in Macedonia. Let's go to verse 11. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness is in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable, according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of of fairness. Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it is written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Let's look at these verses, starting in verse 11. But now finish doing it. So it's not just that we begin something. Anytime that we begin to do something, We must have a determination to complete it and to finish it. Never start something that you're not able to finish the task. You remember Jesus uh, deals with that with our own faith and discipleship and and our walk with him. Who begins to build a house and doesn't have enough to complete it? So in this offering, if we say that we're going to do something, this is what my father always taught me. If you're going to do it and you start it, you do everything you can to finish. You fight to finish it. Don't start it and just say, and just give up. And when someone doesn't finish something the first time, it's very difficult. You feel very badly about not finishing. The second time, it becomes a little bit easier. The third time, you don't even think about it, and then it becomes a lifestyle. So they started this a year earlier And he's saying, now finish it. And that's a principle for everything that we do. If we start something with God's help, with a determination by the Spirit of God, let's finish it. And he's saying, let's finish it and not leave it incomplete. And I think, Scott, too, you know, going back to what you talked about earlier, that, you know, the church in Macedonia gave it out of their own ability. You know, and Paul's not forcing them. Titus isn't forcing them. And that's the same with the, the church in Corinth and, and what Paul's writing it could look like. Well, Paul's really trying to get them to give to this offering. But I think what you're saying and what I'm seeing is that Paul's really trying to get them to keep their word and complete what they're doing because they started this a year ago. That It inspired the churches in Macedonia to give, and they're overjoyed and, and giving up you know, out of their poverty, and, and they've just started this kind of work that's snowballing. So Paul's saying, you started it. 
let's get in there and finish it. And we're going to see in the next few verses, the next chapter of how he talks about finishing it and lays it down with accountability. And, and as you mentioned before, you know, fighting maybe these other leaders in the church. But, but yeah, I really like what you said, that it's about saying you're going to do something and doing it, not only for, for yourself. You know, Paul's kind of reputation's on the line. He's been hyping up the Corinthians as, as this strong body, but their reputation's on the line, too, for saying they're going to start it. And in life, and just like it happened in Corinth, you know, things happen. They had a rough year. They've had a rough time, as you can see from the letter, the first letter Paul wrote, you know, in 1 Corinthians. So, but he's just reminding them, hey, we started this. We're getting through these other things. But don't forget what you said right. about doing this offering. And it's an assumption, but some of the hesitation may be coming from these false apostles that we're going to look at later on. Men that are trying to come to the forefront in leadership that might be putting a negative influence upon this offering. But with the report of Titus, they're still wanting to do this, and it's time to finish it. Macedonia is becoming an example that out of their poverty, they gave. And they did it with joy. And that has to be an influence upon the Corinthians that are struggling internally. They may not have the same persecution outside from an outside influence that the churches in Macedonia have. But here you get a sense of an internal struggle that's taking place. So finish it according to your ability. Do what God has asked you to do. And if you go to verse 12, For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not for the ease of others, And for your affliction, it's not about giving to others and having them be better and causing affliction within yourself, but by way of equality. Now, I'm reading from the New American Standard. I I forget, Samuel, yours may say fairness. I don't know the word that is used there. But it's about taking from what we have and giving to believers that do not have and bringing about a sense of equality and fairness that he wants them to do this. Now, immediately people say, well, socialism is Christianity, because look at this. This is something that we want equality. And when you look back in the book of Acts in the church in Jerusalem, and if you look at this situation, this is the exact opposite of socialism, Marxism. How can I say that? In socialism and in Marxism, it's by force. You're taking from one group and giving to another group, and there's an outside entity that is forcing them to do this in order to force equality. This is just the opposite. Paul is not even saying you have to do this. He's encouraging them to finish what they wanted to do in the first place a year earlier. In the book of Acts, when they were selling property and bringing it to the apostles so that they could distribute it according to the need, they did it of their own accord, just like here. No one asked them to do that. It was something that they wanted to do because they loved others and they wanted to give to others. There was freedom 
in the whole aspect of giving. And in the aspect of giving to God, giving to the work of God, of doing things for God financially, God loves a cheerful giver. It is something that he wants to see to come from within inside of us. The churches in Macedonia were doing that. Now, the church in Corinth that has some internal conflict, maybe over this offering, they're encouraged to continue and finish what they started a year ago. But let it come from within inside. Not at any time is Paul trying to force them, saying that you have to do this, and if you don't do this, the judgment of God is coming upon you. The judgment of God came upon Ananias and Sapphira, not because of giving or not giving, but because of what? They lied and deceived. They lied to God. They lied to the Holy Spirit. That's why the judgment of God came upon them. So when we talk about the body of Christ, of course, Samuel, if you're out here living in the street and you lost your job and you need help and I'm your brother, what kind of brother would I be if I say, hey, I'm sorry, I'll pray for you. I cannot help you. I want to do what is right. I want equality. I want to get you off the street. I want to put food on the table to help you during this time. I want you to have shelter. That is the heart of a believer. That's not socialism. That's not someone forcing me to do that. That is something that is coming from within inside of me. I want equality. I want you to have what I have. If I eat, you eat. If I have food, I want you to have food. If I have clothing, I want you to have clothing. And God uses the body of Christ to do that. So hopefully people will see the difference in something that is forced and something that is coming from within. And one thing, too, I see about this, God, is that just look back at these two letters that Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and he talks about being their true spiritual father. So you got to look at what he's writing this from a heart of the father, that this is actually for their good, too. And I think he's going to spend, you know, a couple chapters on this, but it's really because he knows the outcome and how 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 good this is for the Corinthians to get in this mindset and to do this, because having that heart to give, setting themselves up to finish this work. You know, he talks about the churches in Macedonia with this abundance of joy. So he knows at the end of the day when they complete this, this is just good for them, you know, too as well. Not only for the the believers that he's going to give to in Jerusalem with this offering, but this is helping them grow spiritually. This is showing that heart of of Christ and that heart of giving and loving your brother and your neighbor and giving to one another. So part of this, I think he's setting them up to say, I care about you so much. I want you to get this principle and it's not that you're not doing it right or I'm worried that you're just not going to finish it because you guys are flaky no it's like hey finish this do it because it's ultimately I care about you and this is a really good principle that you as as a church and my spiritual children I want you to understand right and the abundance that they have now to giving to the need in Jerusalem also their abundance will take place at some point will minister to their need. In fact, it was the abundance that they had of the gospel in Jerusalem that from Jerusalem they were sent out and that the Corinthians have come to faith. So we see their abundance helps their need and the abundance that they have will help their need as well. It's about equality. It's about us helping each other and how God provides for us. And we see the last verse in verse 15. 
It's quoting from Exodus chapter 16 with the manna, how God gave enough manna for every single day to be sufficient for their provision for that day. And they had to trust God every day for this manna. In fact, if they kept it a second day, unless it was the Shabbat, the Sabbath, because God, on the Sabbath, they collected on six days, but it was enough for the seventh day as well. But it through the week, if they collected and tried to keep it for a second day, it would become spoiled and not be good for their physical body. So what God was teaching them every single day, every family had enough provision for that day. And God made the whole nation of Israel to be provided for on a daily basis. Now let's go ahead and finish this chapter. Let's read verses 16 through 24. And Alan, if you don't mind reading, we're going to read these verses and continue this understanding of God's provision and how God is going to use the Corinthians to minister to the believers in Jerusalem. All right, uh, verse 16. But thanks be to God who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all the churches. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work, which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our readiness, taking precaution so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent them. We have sent with them our brother, whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. I love these verses. First of all, Titus is doing this of his own accord. It is not Paul who's an apostle and Titus receiving an order to go do this. This is something he's doing out of his own accord. He wants to do this. He's jumping on board. That's the idiom that means he wants to get involved with this task. And so Titus is not under order to do this, orders. And plus, there is a brother whose fame is among the churches that's going to be involved in this as well. People argue about who is this brother. Is it Luke? Is it Barnabas? Is it Silas? Is it Apollos? Is it some other individual that is mentioned through the book of Acts? We do not know who the brother is. Many people try to say that it is Luke. However, we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that this brother who is going along with him has a good reputation and with the gospel, and all the churches are standing behind him, and he's going as a sense of accountability with this offering. So it's not going to be Paul by himself with the offering. This is someone that is going, representing the churches, taking precaution that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. So this brother is going as a sense of accountability. So the team that Paul is going with, 
the brother is going, the churches recognize him and the accountability. His fame is known for the gospel, whoever this brother is. And it's important that we do what is right, not just in the sight of God, but in the sight of men. Let's think of it in this way, and we've talked about it. When we count an offering, we never let one person count it. And if I ever have an individual that says, well, don't you trust me? I can count it by myself. Don't you trust me? And I'll say, I absolutely do not trust you. Because if you're a person that understands accountability, you would never count that offering by yourself. I would never count an offering by myself. I would take Samuel, I would say, Alan, let's count it together. Let's sign off together. Let's count the amount. And all of us are going to sign a signature that this was the exact amount. When we look at that, that's an individual that I would trust. It's not a lack of of not trusting myself, but a person that knows how things should be done with accountability will never do things by themselves because it's not just about God, because God sees everything. God knows everything. God knows if I'm going to take some of that and use it for myself. I've got to do it in the sense of what is right in the sight of men as well. Uh, I like that, what you're saying about that too. And you think in the natural, you hear a lot of money scandals and things that happen, even in the church, sadly. But but just think in general, if, if someone were to donate, say, a million dollars, but then you found out that the person or the group donating it, you know, someone stole $10,000 and they got arrested. What what are non-believers going to remember? They're going to remember that 10000 that was stolen and the person, you know, that stole it. They're not going to remember the other 990000 that was given to a great work. So it really is kind right. of about testimony and, and optics is... As we say here in the West, you know, those it matters. And if, if the world is looking at it and saying this wasn't done right, this wasn't run right, you know, no matter what good you did, especially with the monetary offering, you're going to lose that testimony. You're going to lose all the validity that you had. And, and any outside person is just going to say, well, right. there you go again. That's that's that those Christians just scamming for money or, you know, they're, right. they're trying to take advantage of, of people through Christ and through the Bible. Right, because we're doing things in a, in a way that there cannot be an accusation by anybody that we have done something wrong. So also with the body of Christ, if you do things in the right way, it builds their confidence. Yes, we did this. We helped the believers in Jerusalem. The offering did get there. They did get a supply, and we praise God for this. So if there's another need that comes up later on, and it was done in the right way, people are going to continue to give. But if it was not done with accountability, done in a way that brings honor to God and honor to man, it's done in a way that man cannot bring an accusation that things were done wrongly, then people are confident to give again. They want to give again. And also, like you're saying, Alan, it becomes a testimony. Hey, this organization, these believers do things in the right way. There's not any question that these are people of integrity. This is what Paul is saying. And he has a brother, he has Titus, he has others that will go to Jerusalem. It's not going to be in Paul's pocket. That's what we're trying to say. And this is going to build their confidence to give more and more. So in the last verse here, well, in verse 23, As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. 
Now, Titus is probably under the ministry of Paul. He is. Paul, he's working with Paul, but Paul's the leader. But he describes him as his partner and fellow worker, a co-worker. And I think that's how we need to see others that we're working side by side with. We are co-workers for the gospel. They are messengers of the churches, a glory of Christ. Verse 24, therefore openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason for boasting about you. Finish what you started. Complete the work. Let it come from the inside and do this for God's glory. We will do things in the right way, and you need to finish what you started a year ago. And this is going to become a great testimony to the believers in Jerusalem. Let's stop here, and we're going to continue in chapter 9 next time. I said at the beginning that we would do chapters 8 and 9, but we're going to finish here because we're at 40 minutes So like normal, we think we're going to do 20 and 20, and in one session, it's 40, 45 minutes. But let's close with a word of prayer. Uh, Samuel, can you close us in prayer? God, we thank you for your word and for the generosity that you've placed in the hearts of believers all around the world. God, we pray that you would help us all to realize more and more what we have to give and not materialistic mindset that what we have, we want to keep. God, help us to realize the need that's around us and in the body to to give to others, Jesus, and to do it with good accountability, Jesus, and, and good ethics. Pray that you would help solidify the message of your word in our heart today, God, and help us to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at integritygm.com and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.